Hi, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Sienna. And you're listening to End Yet. Conversations about the intersection of culture and health. Why do we go there? Because frankly, we need to. And we want you to know, we're with you. We all have a story we need to help unpack. But where do we fucking start? And where do we even end? Here's your permission to meet us in the messy middle. The And Yet Podcast with Sienna and Kelsey. Welcome back to the And Yet Podcast with Kels and Sienna. Hello. Hello, hello. One of our favorite topics today. Ah, you betcha. (laughs) So this is a really important episode, Breaking Up with Breath Control, because it's a topic we're all obviously extremely passionate about personally, and it's actually really more broadly how we connected. We're both certified in natural health from different programs uh, and both consider ourselves devoted to progressing really a, a positive framework surrounding menstrual health. Myself through my company, Bootsy Health, and Kelsey, who is also a certified holistic health coach. Yeah, and I think not only are we trying to to progress this positive framework, as you said, but we're also trying to change the conversation totally. around reproductive health and specifically menstrual health and hormonal birth control. A hundred percent. You hit nail on the head. So we should caveat that we're definitely not against hormonal birth control. What we're for is essentially a further choice in in contraceptive methods and especially around menstrual health issues. What we are against is using a blanket solution across the board for menstrual health issues and suppressing your hormones without realizing that is actually what's happening to us. Yeah, I don't know about you, Kels, but when I was taking hormonal birth control for about a decade, really, I was prescribed it when I was 17 or so, but I felt like shit. Yeah. I, I, I mean, a decade's an insane amount of time in my mind. I took it for three months and felt like shit. And you and I are not alone in this experience. In the last decade, it's the first time that statistics for the use of hormonal birth control for millennial women has actually decreased because of, of these types of side effects that are, that are really commonplace. So with that, we're really thrilled to have Dr. Jolene Brighton, who is legitimately one of the pioneers in this area of health in the United States, joining the conversation today. So she is, and this is a mouthful, so bear with me, but um, <laughs> you can she's do it. legit. <laughs> she's a functional medicine, naturopathic medical doctor, And that's important to state because uh, a naturopathic medical doctor is quite distinct to to a naturopathic doctor. Correct. Um, It's still an MD, which I think is the the distinction there. Yeah, absolutely. And she's the founder of Rubus Health, which is a women's medicine clinic and which specializes in women's hormones. She's globally recognized as the leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and also the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. So we're hoping that you get as much out of this episode as we did. And with that, why don't we welcome Dr. Jolene Brighton. So this morning we had with us the famous Dr. Jolene Brighton. I'm a huge, huge fan of yours, Dr. Jolene Brighton, <laughs> and thrilled that you're able to come on and chat with us today. You've had a huge impact on both my life and many of my friends. So so really excited to kind of be able to spread this this message and this type of education with our listeners. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the work you do. And for, you know, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think that it's when we share our stories, our experience, and we all just start talking about this is really how we're going to be able to change women's medicine for the better. And I just have to say, I'm like over here cracking up that you called me famous. I'm like, I don't feel famous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, famous in our world, for sure, for sure. Awesome. I'm blushing. (laughs) No one can see it, but I am. (laughs) Well, Sienna and I talk a lot about how the two of us are having these conversations all the time. Mm-hmm. But we're realizing that that's not actually the case for a lot of women. You know, I think we kind of live in our own bubble of of this type of dialogue. And we really want to make sure that other women are included in this conversation as well. So that's kind of, I think, why we, we got started with this podcast to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, what's interesting to me is that I think we so often think like, oh, well, like maybe we're the only people talking about this. But I think... 
you know, as I've just talked with so many women, I mean, thousands of women, they're like, you know, this is something I only talked about with like this one person in my life or, or with my doctor. And it's like, we're all having these kind of one-off conversations. And that's really, I think where 2019 things are going to change, where we're going to see like these global conversations happening because we're connected in, in such, I mean, in a way we've never been connected before. And at the same time, I think that so many women are starting to ask all of these questions in a really public way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's certainly been my experience in my kind of personal world in, in my friendship groups. It, it just feels like in the last year or so, everyone seems to be coming up with these conversations. And, and I'm almost like, am I prompting these? Or is this kind of just naturally the way the world's turning? And we're learning so much more about our bodies and kind of the history with things like the pill that it is becoming widespread. Mm -hmm. Right. You're like, is it just that like I'm putting this energy out now it's coming yeah. to me or that I just like I, I'm now I want to have these conversations. So I'm, I'm catching and, and looking and hearing them a lot more and they've always been happening. But I think that very much we're seeing with the millennial generation, you know, I think it's really funny how, you know, every generation wants to be like, oh, I'm the coolest and this other one's the <laughs> worst. And uh, it's just this weird <laughs> phenomenon. Like I was talking to my in-laws, they're, they're baby boomers and they're like, well, we were the coolest. Like, this is what we did. And I'm like, it's just, stop. Like every, everybody's yes. cool in their own way. But it's really funny because I think that millennials, they get bagged on a lot where people are like, oh, these millennials, like this and that about them. But I think that, you know, they have observed and really, you know, been the first generation that we've seen is rejecting hormonal birth control at the highest rate. And, you know, I was, I actually had the New York Post reach out to me and they were, they asked, they were like, okay, this is your world. Like, what's up with this? Like, why are millennials rejecting hormonal birth control more than mm -hmm. any other generation? And really my answer was, is because they paid attention and what they saw and thank goodness for the baby boomers and thank goodness for Gen X, for these women who went before us, who used yeah. hormonal birth control so that we could see, you know, in, and in a lot of ways it had, I mean, it's been beneficial in the women's movement. I am mm -hmm. not anti-hormonal contraceptives by any means, and I would never advocate taking those away from women. But at the same time, we've also seen the side effects. And we're in a really unique time in history where you know, it used to be that you took the pill between pregnancies, like everybody was going to have a baby. And like, you, you know, and the pill came out, and we use that as a tool to space pregnancies. And now, you know, we're in a different climate where there's a good percentage of women who never want to have babies. So 100% yeah. they're right. But we've seen women who have also been put on hormonal birth control for symptom management and then left on it for decades. And that's that's a very new phenomenon that, you know, the younger generations have been able to observe. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's just the observations that have been made by the newer generation of women and deciding that, they actually don't want to put a mute button on their ovaries or basically put their ovaries on hold. They want to actually work with their body, understand their body, and avoid some of the potential side effects that you know maybe they saw their mother had or their grandmother or an aunt, and at the same time, control their reproductive health and, and manage it in a way that suits them best. Absolutely. And just kind of taking a step back for a second, for those that maybe aren't fully aware of what hormonal contraception does to our body. Can you kind of explain the way that it more or less kind of suppresses hormones or kind of in your own words, what, what it is actually doing to our bodies? Yeah. So, you know, it's really funny when I set out uh, my book beyond the pill, I set out to, to write it and it's like, I have these conversations all the time in my clinical practice and I just hit the ground running with like, okay, here's all the things you need to know about what hormonal birth control does. And I remember my editor saying to me, well, wait, how, how does the pill actually even work? And I'm like, Oh, duh. Oh, yeah. Like that is mm. something that like, that, yeah, that's a very crucial thing that we should start that conversation. So I really appreciate you asking that because, you know, I spent 10 years on hormonal birth control. I actually didn't know, you know, how it worked for a good portion of that time. And I didn't care because all I cared about is that those seven to eight day, like painful periods were gone. And I didn't have to worry about having a baby. Like, way I'm yeah, winning. Absolutely. But what I didn't come to understand is that, you know, every day that I popped that pill, I was giving my body a high enough dose of synthetic hormones to give the signal that my ovaries didn't need to produce anything. And so how the pill works is it shuts down how your brain communicates to your ovaries in a negative feedback loop. So you bring on mm -hmm. enough hormones that tells the brain, 
we don't need any more, do not signal the ovaries to make hormones. And with that, you lose the cyclical nature of your hormonal cycle, which is actually quite lovely. And, you know, I spent my 20s thinking my body was betraying me and it was my role to control it and and to just shut it up. Um, and I actually yeah. saved beyond the pill. You know, sometimes taking the pill is like, for symptoms, which is, you know, how I got started on it is like, you know, you basically put a gag in your body's mouth, tie it up and throw it in the back of a trunk. And you're just like, I don't want to hear from you. And that's, you know, that's not judging anybody. That's like what I was doing. And I'm like, you know, it's something that you're muting the most crucial data in your body. I mean, our period and our menstrual cycle, I mean, it's, it's conventional medicine. Okay. This is not alternative or, you know, by any means out there, conventional medicine has said this menstrual cycle, is the fifth vital sign. So it's up there with your temperature and your pulse, you know, these things that tell us if you're going to die relatively soon, or maybe something big trouble is stirring. These are mm-hmm. called vital signs. So it's, it's very vital. And when you're on hormonal birth control, it's shutting down that entire menstrual cycle. And the way it should work is that you should not ovulate. That's about 91% effective with typical use. 99 if you're perfect, but I haven't, I've yet to meet a perfect human. <laughs> that's just the reality. <laughs> and that's how, you know, these like the patch and the pill and the depot shot and all these, uh, these, those forms of hormonal contraceptives work. Now, when we're talking about something like the Marina, Kylina, uh, Skyla, these are the progestin based IUDs, not mm-hmm every woman will stop ovulating. And so it's just important to understand that because some women will say, well, I had my AUD for like two years and I felt great. Yes, because you were still ovulating. You had that progesterone. And then, you know, somewhere along the line, I started to tank. And it's like, well, that could be because that was the point that you stopped ovulating, but we're not shutting down the whole reproductive system. So then we could be having issues like estrogen dominance and other hormone imbalances. But those progestin-only IUDs, they really work on the endometrial lining, thickening the cervical mucus. And it's less about shutting down the brain ovarian communication, although it's on the package insert. It absolutely can and does happen in some women. So does that all make sense? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is like, my mind is feeling blown. <laughs> yeah. This is music to our ears. Yeah. It's like you, you explain it so articulately as well. I mean, I'll never well, be able yeah. to. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, and I love what you said about how when you first started taking the pill it was to manage symptoms and you were kind of just telling your body to shut up. And I'm just thinking about how that creates, especially for women who are maybe in their teens or in their early 20s, how that really creates this disconnect from our own body. And we start to Mm -hmm. look at our body as its own entity separate from our being. So I'm kind of just thinking about like how that really can play out also just psychologically and how that sort of does create this divide between body and self, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you you know, this is, again, goes back to, I think a lot of women are waking up to the the story that we've been told. And I like to I like to frame it as a story. And I actually learned this from Charles Eisenstein, who he's a wonderful author. And he really frames things as like, there's an old story and there's a new story. And I love that idea because stories can always be rewritten and you can change the story like a fairy tale. You can pass it down generations and change that, that whole dialogue. And so with that, you know, the story has always gone in women's medicine that your hormones are just, they're going to make your life hell. There's nothing you can do about them. Being a woman is inherently awful. Your body's always betraying you. Periods are going to be painful. They're going to be awful. Stay away from a woman like the week before her period because they're just crazy. Or how about never make a woman president because they have hormones and, oh, that makes them crazy. I'm like, oh, hold up. You need to actually read the research because our hormones actually give us superpowers and they're why we are multitasking ninjas and our brains fire in a way that the male brain can't. Now, I'm not bagging on men. I have two men that I live with. I love them, but they don't get in all this really cool stuff that we do. And so, you know, that's really like the old story. And I think a lot of women are starting to recognize, you know, we need to shift the story because actually working with our body, like those symptoms that we've been taught are like your body's way of betraying you and that you need to come in with, you know, a pharmaceutical and strong arm and into submission. Now, Right now, yeah. like I, I, I want to say, like I am going through an acute situation with my own child, in which, yes, we are leveraging some pharmaceuticals to strong arm some business into submission, while we bring the natural therapies on board. Sometimes we have to do that. You know, before we started recording, you guys were talking about endometriosis, and 
It's a situation where sometimes you got to use hormonal birth control or you've got to use, you know, some, some painkillers so that you can have the energy and basically so that you don't have to be writhing in pain for, you know, weeks out of the month that you can do the work of prepping your meals and making sure you're exercising and bringing on all those natural therapies that we know really address the root cause. And so I just want to frame it in that way because I don't think anyone should ever feel shamed for leveraging a pharmaceutical when their symptoms are about to break them. Like I totally hear that. And that's why I practice the way that I do. I mean, it's not for me to come in and tell you how to live your life or what's absolutely best for your body. Like it's a dialogue and a discussion that we need to have. And so, you know, that's really what I set out to do in Beyond the Pill and why it's called Beyond the Pill is I know that all day, every day, we can go to a gynecologist's office and be handed hormonal birth control for any fill in the blank female period problem. Like it's the pill for every female ill situation. But I wanted to give solutions beyond the pill. And I wanted to So people keep asking, they're like, so is this book only about birth control? There's a whole lot about birth control because there's, it's a bit of an epidemic right now that women, I mean, more than half of us are being put on the pill for symptom management. And like, we don't really want that. And when we come off, there's this thing called post birth control syndrome, which makes us feel like we've got to be like, and we're basically addicted to the pill because if we come off of it, it's so bad. And I wanted to give women solutions beyond the pill, beyond hormonal contraceptives and help women understand their body and really you know, I spent 10 years on the pill. It wasn't until I was in medical school that I understood how my period worked, that I understood I was suppressing my body from getting pregnant every single day of the month. And, and mind you, I also spent a few years just like not having periods because I thought I was so cool and could do that. Such a bad <laughs> yeah, idea. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Why did I do that? But whatever. <laughs> That's like, well, I mean, how many times would you say, Why did I do that to your 20 something year old self? You just say, Because yeah. I needed to learn. I needed to learn something about <laughs> that. But, you know, I really wanted women to have that solution and understand like that one, you're only fertile one day of the month. Like when I learned that, I was like, wait, what? Why didn't anyone ever tell me that? And sex ed, right? That's such an epic fail. Mm -hmm. And I don't think women should have to go to medical school to understand their menstrual (laughs) cycle. And I think the idea of saying to women, your hormones are just too complicated. Like you're like, what? She's too dumb to understand the body she's walking around in every single day. Like that is ludicrous. Like that is so yeah, ridiculous. It really is. And so, yes. you know, with Beyond the Pill, there are solutions in there to which it's like, yes, we're going to talk about post-birth control syndrome and how to make that business gone for good. Yes, we're going to talk about what does hormonal birth control do to your body so that you can safeguard it? So that if you decide to stay on it, that you have solutions so that you know what to look out for for stroke and heart attack, but also you know ways to eat, to move your body, lifestyle practices, supplements that can help with things like mood and digestive issues that come up. And there's an entire chapter dedicated. I call it like the decoder ring chapter. It's not actually what it's called, but it's like, <laughs> if someone would have given me a decoder ring the day I got my period that was like, oh, you're having heavy periods. This is what this means. And this is what a heavy period is. Like, I didn't even know what a heavy period was until I was like almost 30. And I'm like, oh, you're not supposed to change a tampon every hour. Like, what is that? Like, And so with that, there's, you know, the way I've set it up is like, okay, if you're thinking about going on the pill for X, Y, or Z, okay, so like, let's just say heavy periods. If you're thinking about going on the pill to control your heavy periods and your doctor's not asking why, let me help you understand why so you can have a dialogue with your doctor to get the lab testing you need and make sure things are being investigated. Like if you're having heavy periods, is it estrogen dominance? Is it a progesterone deficiency going on? Do you have fibroids? Do you have iron deficiency anemia? One of the most common causes of heavy periods, and it's this thing, the situation we get stuck in where your periods get heavy, you lose more blood, so now you're, you become iron deficient, and then the iron deficiency yeah. drives you to lose even more blood. And the pill won't fix that. Now, it may be something where using hormonal birth control, so I have done this clinically where a woman is on the verge of like needing to go to the hospital and get a blood transfusion. Like that is how anemic Jeez. we are looking at with that. I mean, it can get that bad where it's like, okay, yeah. your your complete blood count is showing you're severely anemic. Your storage form of iron, which is ferritin, is almost non-existent. And like you're in, we see pallor, we see, you know, there's issues with oxygenation happening. Like that's serious. Using hormonal birth control to s- shut the blood loss down, investigate if there's blood loss anywhere else and rebuild those iron stores can sometimes be a necessary treatment. However, mm-hmm. I mean, that's an extreme case. But however, 
If your doctor passes you the pill without questioning, well, is this hypothyroidism? Is this endometriosis? Is this a situation with iron deficiency anemia? You're never addressing the root cause. And so while your period problems may seem to have gone away, you didn't get the right lab testing. Your doctor did you a disservice in not asking those questions. And beyond the pill, I give you those solutions. And then while you wait for that doctor's visit or the lab results, I also say, and here's what you need to do now. Like if you have heavy periods, if you have heavy periods, you need to be increasing your iron in, in your food and coupling that with vitamin C rich foods. So you liberate the iron, you start building your iron stores. You need to eat foods that are rich in vitamin B6, B12, folate. Your blood cells need that as well. And then mm-hmm. we need to start looking at, okay, what can we use in terms of lifestyle therapies? Like maybe don't go so hard exercising when you're on your period because you're, you yeah. might be anemic and you're fatigued. And then what kind of supplements do we bring in that can help enhance everything that you're doing? And it's really like that trifecta that can help women turn things around and be able to heal. Absolutely. And, and I love the way that you're you're giving women the tools to help themselves. You're not kind of saying this is the solution for everyone. It, it's what questions do I need to ask to understand my own body? And that's just the crux of it that I absolutely love. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, I, I thought you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said you're not trying to take away hormonal birth control. You're just trying to provide other options. And this yeah. is something that Sienna and I talk to exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. But we're not against hormonal birth control, but it's not working for everybody. And so mm-hmm. there's this whole segment of women that are just left, you know, floating in water, trying to figure out what's wrong with them, trying to figure out how they can help themselves. And it's just not part of, usually part of the medical community's discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I sat in doctor's offices for 10 years begging somebody to help me and basically being force-fed birth control, which didn't work for me. I, I had horrible symptoms. Yeah, it just Likewise, wasn't Likewise, yeah. So, yeah, no, it was it definitely didn't mix well with my body either. Do you have any sense of the reason why the pills become kind of the fallback go-to treatment yeah. for all menstrual health issues? And like, Why has it become the gold standard? in that community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when your toolkit is kind of limited and, you know, your, your visits are, you know, less than 10 minutes long in, in some offices, like you're looking for a quick win for that woman. And so your doctor is by no means prescribing you the pill because they want to do a disservice. They want to hurt you. No, it's quite the opposite. They're like, you have problems. I hear how this is messing with you. I've got a solution. That's the only solution they have. And this is something where I think we sometimes get really frustrated as women. And I I use the analogy like this. Like if you go to the sandwich shop and you're asking them for ice cream, they're never going to serve you up ice cream. That's not what they do. They make sandwiches. (laughs) Like you're going to get a sandwich. So when you go to your primary care doctor, they're really good at triaging you. They're really good at disease screening, you know, for like major diseases. They're really good at knowing like when this is an emergency and that has a vital place in medicine. But when it comes to like root cause medicine and really looking at What's the underlying cause? Spending time with the patient. Coming, you know, it's something that I explain to people. You know, I have a background in nutritional biochemistry before I ever became a doctor. Most Mm -hmm. conventional doctors, they get maybe like 12 weeks max of nutrition. And it's not like nutrition that's founded in science a lot of the time. And someone's going to want to like slap me for saying it, but I'm going to say it because so much of the science, yeah. So it's, you know, We've come to understand that like the food pyramid, you know, as it was a first adapted and is really evolved, it's really based more in like what, what do we need to move in terms of goods in the United States? Like we know that yeah. like when, when we started adopting this like pro-inflammatory grain-based diet, like looking at all, uh, you know, trying to get that six servings of grains a day, we did start to see a decline in people's health. Now, is that the only right. thing? Of course, it's not the only thing, but it has a big impact. So, you know, it's to understand that like your doctor, they're really working with what they have. Now, the other thing is that it was about, you know, somewhere I believe in the the 90s, maybe early 2000s, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was that birth control started getting approved for things other than contraceptive purposes. So, Here's the thing, like when, I mean, how exciting is it that we were able to get access to hormonal birth control and be able to, for the first time ever, like once we got 
hormonal birth control introduced, we started graduating college at a higher rate. We started, you know, our careers progressed. I mean, we still have a long way to go as women. I mean, I, you know, we, that's a whole nother discussion, but you know, with that, that was a very exciting thing. And, you know, for the people who invested in doing this research and invested in developing this pharmaceutical, it was exciting for them as well, because now you didn't have to have a disease. You could be a completely healthy person and take hormonal birth control. And I say that because, you know, people like to vilify the pharmaceutical industry. And then like when I'm talking about birth control, they're always like, of course you hate big pharma. And I'm like, I don't know. I like me some antibiotics when like things get really bad. Like like, I think that, you know, it's, I think it's, it's it's a very, yeah, absolutely. And it's a very tricky thing where it's like, I don't think it serves to really be like, oh, you know, it's like the saying of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But, you yeah. know, then what came is that, you know, it was in the last few decades where it was approved for different menstrual disorders. And then it came in as, you know, continuing medical education and as part of medical education that like, if you have a female problem, here is the solution. You just shut down the reproductive tract, yeah. and like, and it does work. And like, there are women who are going to listen to this right now who are going to be like, "Wait, but birth control did make my acne go away." On the flip side, mm-hmm. there's going to be women who are going to be like, "And birth control made my acne worse, and my hair started falling out." So, it, yeah. you know, what you guys were saying is, I think, exactly correct in that. You know, there are some women who do fine on it, but there are women who do not. Like, it is not working for them at all. And I think that, you know, the issue I see is that medicine and science is still debating, like, oh, are these side effects that come with birth control really real? Like, you know, women have been complaining about depression since the 1960s, but we've never had a study to show causation. Therefore, we're not going to believe her story yet. And it's like, yeah. oh, how many women? How many women is it going to take complaining about this, saying this is true for me, this is the side effect, before we say, okay, it's true for her, maybe we stop debating, does hormonal birth control cause? Now, at this point, I can't say hormonal birth control causes depression. I can say for me, when I popped the pill, I absolutely had depression for the first time in my life. And when I changed the pill, I no longer had depression. That was true for me. Our studies at best are showing a correlation. They're showing an association. However, I think we're getting, we're getting tied up in all of that. And the question we really need to be asking is, why for her, but not for her? Like, let's stop debating yeah. if the side effects are there. And let's start asking the question, why is it one woman... We'll get the Marina IUD. She'll love it. She'll keep it for five years. She'll do it again. It's like the best thing that ever happened to her. And yet another woman gets it placed. And within a couple weeks, she's being diagnosed with all these psychiatric disorders and prescribed all these drugs. Like why? Why is it happening to some women and not others? And I think if we can just move past, you know, this whole debate of whether or not we believe women's stories and just freaking start believing them, then we can move forward in science and in medicine a whole lot quicker to start asking, why is it true for this woman? Like, who does this affect? And if we can do that, then we can get better, more fine-tuned in our individualized what's called a PAR-Q. So when we go over the plan and the alternatives with that woman, when we individually counsel that person sitting in front of us, we can fine tune that. And so we can know, we can, I mean, at this point, we know genetics. We know if you have, you know, I talk about this in Beyond the Pill, if you have an MTHFR mutation, if you have a factor five mutation, like these genetic mutations, you're at higher risk for a stroke. This explains why some 19 year olds have come to see me after having a stroke on the pill, after their doctor told them, no, 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 don't worry about that. That only happens to smokers in their 40s, except we just needed to screen her labs. Like we just needed to look at that. And then we would know, is that statement true for her? And I mean, it's a bit of a soapbox issue, but really this is how I think that we iterate, we get better in women's medicine is when we believe the women's stories. And then we start getting a lot more humble and a lot more curious that we don't know everything. And then in fact, our patients can teach us a whole lot about not only, you know, themselves, but about the female body. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that that makes me angry, but also I guess optimistic in where we're going is that women weren't even included in scientific studies until what, the 80s or it didn't become legal. Like what the fuck? Yeah, the antidepressants are not tested on women. Yeah. No, no. And you know, you guys... Like I, um, I was a super sick kid and I was dismissed. Like, this is so like, it it really was only like, I think in recent years that I've come to understand, like, that's why like, you 
know, everything that's going on with my son and in my life, and we can certainly like talk about that, that like I can come from a place through a lens to be like, this is going to serve me. Right now it sucks. Right now I hate it. But like there has never been like a life tragedy, an illness, a a, a hard knock that never served me later. And for me, I was a sick kid. You know, I started having chronic digestive issues, heartburn, and it got to the point, you know, I was having endoscopies. I was in the children's hospital and it got to the point to where I was like throwing up almost after every single meal. And then (gasps) the doctors were like, this is psychosomatic. This is in her head. She's making it up and she probably has an eating disorder. And I was like, I've been a foodie for like since ever. And I'm like, no, I like to eat. Okay. Like that's not, that's not what's going on here. And it was finally when I was about 17 that they discovered H. pylori in medicine. Like, and it was actually, it was discovered and then they brought, it was coming into clinical practice. And at that point I found a doctor who then knew how to do that test. And there it was. And so for almost a decade, I was sick as a kid, and I was. T- I got to the point to where the doctors they couldn't figure out what's going on. So therefore, I must have been making it up, like because I wanted attention. I'm like, yeah, that's what like kids want, and it's not you know that can happen for sure. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but yeah. and it wasn't until medicine did the study, you know, and then it finally got accepted. I mean, the guy who did the study at first, they were dismissing him like crazy as well, and it finally took going to a doctor who read the study who said that we should test for this. Like this is something that's been discovered. And lo and behold, there was a bacterial infection in my stomach that was causing a little girl to have, and they could see the chronic gastritis. They could see early ulcerations in my stomach, yet they still said I was making things up. I'm like, I like go through this story. I'm like, that is so insane to me. But with that, they put me on proton pump inhibitors as a kid that they were never tested on children. This is before they were over the counter. And then they told me at 17, I'd just be on for the rest of my life. There was no studies on women. There was no studies on children. There was no studies on lemium for the rest of your life. And I'm just like, my brain would have stopped working had I listened to my doctor. And then the funny yeah. thing is I was like, yeah, right. I'm not going to take this every single day. Like, good luck getting the, need to take a pill every day. And, and then and then I started the pill and was like, oh, yeah. I don't have that period problems. Like, <laughs> this is, uh, it just cracks me up. But, you know, to your point, you're absolutely right. I mean, 100% on that because it's such a problem that we weren't even included in studies. And that is why, you know, there's well-documented medical gender bias. And I talk about this in Beyond the Pill of like, look, I know I'm going to get flack for this. I already get doctors saying none of these symptoms are real. Post-birth control syndrome oh. isn't real. And I'm like, well, why don't you go tell the thousands of women complaining about it? Because you know what? You once upon a time also said leaky gut wasn't real. Now we understand intestinal hyperpermeability is driving autoimmunity and all kinds of other issues. You once upon a time said it was crazy if you use probiotics. Now we know, oh my gosh, like those gut bugs yeah. do everything. And once upon a time, Saying adrenal fatigue meant you were a lunatic or a quack. Now you go to PubMed and HPA dysregulation. There's hundreds of studies on that. Like this yeah. is the, this is the way it goes in medicine. And so for every woman listening, if you're getting dismissed or you're feeling like you know, and this is how oh, this is the worst of it is that you have real issues and yet your doctor is too tied up in medical dogma or thinking that they know better than your body to actually hear what's going on and to be curious enough and humble enough to say you know what? Maybe I need to go look this up. Maybe I need to read a little bit more. And, and you know, it's sad to me is that it's not even like your doctor's fault. And as much as we'd like to vilify, you know, we like to find that one person, you know, <laughs> they're, they're stuck in a, in a model of medicine that doesn't, it's not working for the doctors and it's not working for the patients. And so it's not, it's a very complex issue. And I just want women to understand that your doctor didn't give up a decade more of their life because they didn't want to help people. Like nobody goes to medical school unless like, you know, they're, they're absolutely crazy about helping people. And that's really, you know, what it comes down to is your doctor absolutely wants to help you. It's just about, you know, what we're seeing happen in medical schools. And thankfully, you know, some of the major medical schools are starting to change their curriculum, like waking up to the fact that like women die of heart attacks at a higher rate than men. Like you're a woman and you walk into the ER 
man walks into the ER, you both are having a heart attack. You're more likely to be told that like, oh, you're just panicking or it's in your head sent home to die where that man gets treatment. And it's not because your doctor, you know, wants that for you. It's because medical school has taught that we studied heart, heart attacks in men. This is what a heart attack looks like in men. Therefore women, same, same. We're not the same. We're completely different. Like we grow humans Mm -hmm. in our body. Like, does that not clue you in to like, we're different? I haven't seen a man be able to do that yet. So I think it's a really, I mean, this is part of the whole conversation and the discussion is that, you know, we get dismissed, you know, women with endometriosis, I mean, women with endometriosis and PCOS are kind of what spurred my work with birth control because Mm -hmm. these were the women that were coming to me in their thirties and nobody ever asked why, why were the periods so painful? Why were they irregular? Why were they having painful bowel movements? Why were they having huge blood clots like in their menstrual blood? And then I was the doc that was like, so you've been on the pill for 20 years. We need to figure out what's going on. And then I was the one that had to like deliver the bad news. And I'm like, this is, I'm getting the bum on the stick here. Like you you guys should have like been talking about this a long time ago, but I mean, really, we we know, I mean, how much research is going into PCOS or endometriosis compared to diabetes compared yeah. to, and it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me. There's so, I mean, I could rant forever about what needs to change in women's medicine, but I oh think my God. Uh, <laughs> they're all doing that. Like that's what we're doing right now. It's like, even if you're listening to this right now, like even taking the time to educate yourself, you, you are part of the change that needs to happen. I think what you're saying, Dr. Brighton, is so important because I personally have a lot of anger towards the medical community, whether it's justified or not, but I've been working through that. I'm very proud of (laughs) progress. You have. (laughs) But I think to me, the most important thing is that we become our own health advocate. And I agree. I don't think we should look at the medical community as against us, but I also don't think we should look at them as the authority on our body. Mm, and yeah. so I think learning to navigate that yourself and and know when to say, no, what you're saying doesn't feel true for me. I think we should explore a different option. I sat in so many doctor's offices where I just said, okay, and went home and cried and didn't get the help that I needed. And it took me a long time to learn to really speak up and trust what I was feeling. And Kelsey, yeah. I hope you don't mind me saying, hun, but she's just come back from having a second operation support her endometriosis yes. and gone through a seriously intense operation and a recovery period. And, and just seeing her go through that, I'm just, you're such a trooper and <laughs> a hero in my eyes. Yeah, but that's just women in general. Well, you are, you are. <laughs> but I also seen how hard you had to work in order to get your voice heard and, and be able to, you know, even seek the right treatment for you. It's not been an easy ride. No, absolutely. And it took me 10 years to get diagnosed with endometriosis in the first place. But I love what you said before, Dr. Brighton, about running the correct panels and doing the correct blood work and testing before we offer birth control. For me, it was something where I was always offered it. it. My body didn't react well. I knew it wasn't right for me. So I usually didn't go down that path. I tried it a couple times in my early 20s and I stopped. But what I found out before my first surgery was that I do carry factor five. Oh. So I was really, yeah. So I was really grateful that I had, that I listened to myself during that time, but I can imagine so many women who aren't. Yeah. So Sorry, what's, what's factor five? It's a genetic mutation where your blood, you're more likely to have a blood clot than oh, somebody who doesn't okay. have it. Okay. Yeah. And so it's a clotting factor. And for women that are listening, you know, I wrote about this. There's a whole metabolic chapter in Beyond the Pill talking about cardiovascular risks as well. If you, it, So that when you have genes, there's two copies. If one of those copies is, is off, it's a 35-fold increased risk of a stroke, like of having a clot. Wow. So it's definitely, and that's why when you said that, I was like, whoa, okay. And I've seen yeah. this, you know, and this is, that's something I'll screen. If a woman comes into my office and she's like, I'm on hormonal birth control. I want to stay on it. It works for me. We screen for stroke and heart attack risks and diabetes, and we start looking at that to understand, okay, you know, but how is your body tolerating it? Because like you said, you know, you're 
your body will push through. Like your body, the end game is survival for your body. Like that's why it's so silly to say your body's betraying you because your body doesn't want to die. Your body's like, I'm in it to win it. But sorry, I I lost there. I just wanted to, you know, throw that out there so that women understand. That's like you being in tune with your body and listening to it literally saved your life. Like, because, you know, maybe, maybe not in the first few years, but you know, so many of us are, are left and told to be, you can be on birth control, you know, well into your thirties and forties. And after 35, that stroke risk starts going up even more. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Interesting. Well, and in my case too, it also forced me to continue to push forward to find the answers that I needed because I wasn't suppressing those symptoms. I was just trying to get by, but it did, it did allow me to seek out other options and, and finally find the right doctors and specialists to, to diagnose me. Mm-hmm. Your, your book Beyond the Pillars launching on the 29th of January. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. But I just found out, so I'm living in France right now. So people listening might be like, I thought she lived in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, right now I live in France. And I just found out, so in the United States and in Canada, it comes out January 29th. So if you pre-order it, some, sometimes they ship a little bit sooner is also the word on the street, but don't hold me to that. Um, but if you are in Europe, it's going to be March. And that, yeah, my my publishers also told me, they're like, but people are better off to pre-order so that they get like first okay. dibs, like the moment it comes out. But I just, you know who I found that out from was like, oh, all my awesome people on Instagram were like, I pre-ordered your book. I live in Germany. I'm getting it in March. And I'm like, why March? Um, what? Like, <laughs> but it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> okay. Good well, that's know. so exciting. And, and maybe you could give us like a little bit of a taste of what really happens after the pill. I think it's important that we talk about for women who are listening, who are maybe thinking about coming off the pill or, or in the middle of coming off, what are some of the different things that they can expect to happen to their body? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, everybody wants to to hear that, you know, it's going to be all sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns, right? Um, <laughs> then I and then I come in. So, here's the thing, though, that I, and I explain this in Beyond the Pill is that, you know, I may go through like here's all the reasons that you might not want to be on the pill, and you may decide that's that's good for you. But if you start a hormonal birth control because of symptoms, it's likely those symptoms are going to come back. Now, I generally say, you know, like if you started for like acne, for instance, or, you know, painful periods, prep your body for a good three months before you come off of it. If you started because you have endometriosis, you're going to want to consider going three to six months. And just because there's a lot of work to be done with endometriosis, as I'm sure you've you've spoken to before, (laughs) and it's very complex and we don't understand it super well. And there's a lot of things that hormonal birth control does to the body that actually you know, right now I'm, I'm questioning and we need more research of like, you know, does it actually, you know, in the long run, maybe make endo worse. And so we, there's some things that we need to work on with that. And so again, if you're using it and you have endo and you're like, it's working for me, beyond the pill has solutions so that you can kind of undo some of that. Now, when you come off of hormonal birth control, there are some benefits. So like your libido can come back. If you had chronic yeast infections while you're on it, you can clear those up finally. You know, libido and chronic yeast, uh, vaginal yeast infections, they don't just go away if you're on hormonal birth control. And it, it's something that clinically right. I found you've got to come off of it. Your mood might improve. Like I've had patients who say to me, you know, I, for the first time in my life, I feel like myself or like a fog has been lifted. I don't have yeah. brain fog anymore. Mm-hmm. Some women will tell me, my panic attacks went away. Like I went to my doctor and I was like, I, I could stop my Zoloft. Like, and my doctor's like, awesome. What'd you do? I came off of the pill. So, you know, there are things that can definitely get better. Women will say their thought. And I've seen this with patients running their labs, thyroid function will get better. So they've been hypothyroid. They've been struggling with that. Now their thyroid function is getting better, but there's other things that can come up as well, which is why if you're thinking about coming off of hormonal birth control, grab beyond the pill, read it, go through. I designed it so that it's like, if I present a problem, there's an immediate gratification solution there. I also created it. I wrote it in a way where you, there's a whole quiz for you to understand your hormone imbalance. You you can skip ahead and you can go right to the solutions of what to do with that. And if you are someone that's like, I need to spend some more time on my gut, like there's a chapter for you in that so that you can really just dial in. And my editors very much were like, can't we just like tell them they have to read the whole thing from start to finish? And I was like, I've never have done that. Okay. Like we're not, this is not a like fiction. This is not Harry Potter here. Okay. Nobody's going to start to finish this. Like they're going to be like, 
I have a problem right now. Like when your hormones are off the chain, you have a problem right now. You need a solution right now. You don't have time to read a whole yeah. like freaking book here. So <laughs> it's designed in that way. And so if you're thinking about coming off of hormonal birth control, you know, majority, if not all women struggle with post-birth control syndrome, which can present in a lot of different ways. And so I take you through a whole way to prep your body to come off of it so that you don't have an androgen rebound that can lead to hair loss or acne. And cystic acne is usually what we see. And it ends up like everywhere. It doesn't just stay on your face. It's like on your butt and your chest and your back. It's like, why does this happen? You'll know why when you read Beyond the Pill. Then we also have, you know, solutions in there so that, you know, you don't end up having more gut issues. You don't end up, you know, feeling like you, because you can get more anxious or you can feel like, you know, more depressed or have mood swings or your periods can come back with a vengeance or you can be wanting Mm. to have a baby and lose your period altogether. And so within that, you know, I really set it up. I went through post-birth control syndrome. Like, and this is something, like I said, like this is the decoder ring book of like, this is what you should know. If you have periods or you should be having periods like this is this book can help you and if you're on hormonal birth control it's going to have your back in that and then help you transition off when you're ready so that you can avoid symptoms of post-birth control syndrome and not ever have that feeling like your body's betraying you Oh my God, this is just a must read for anyone that's ever been. Yes. I'm already thinking about yeah. like all my friends I'm going to like mail copies to. Oh, definitely. Like I, I literally have one of my best friends is going through what I, I believe to be post-birth control syndrome and in that she hasn't been able to get her period back after a year and she is ready to have kids. Mm-hmm. So this will be definitely her, uh, her next Prezi. Yeah. <laughs> it's really startling, I think, how often I've been met with the argument of doctors who say, Well, if you lost your period after birth control, it's likely because you have PCOS. Like that was said to me. Now, I am a Latina. We get pregnant if you look at us. Nobody in my family has PCOS. (laughs) Everybody has like two kids or more. I was the first in my family not to get pregnant before, you know, age 20. And that was because of the pill. And I'm a first generation college student. That's why I'm like, I don't hate on birth control because like it definitely is a tool for me. But, you know, my doctor yeah. said to me, we likely had PCOS. And how many women are told, oh, if you have new symptoms when you come off of hormonal birth control, it's because you always had them. You just don't remember. And it's ridiculous. And yeah. so, you know, it is something F-O. that, um, <laughs> yeah. It, and I felt so alone. Like when I had post-birth control syndrome, I mean, how many times I felt so alone with my hormonal business. And so it's just something that I want women to realize that like, they're not alone. There's a lot of women. I mean, you could just do a Google search. There are a lot of women talking about this and, and complaining about these side effects and these issues. And we yet don't have research studies that are, you know, conclusive enough for anyone to question the impact on our fertility. And so, you know, and beyond the pill, I tried to go through, give the research the best I could, the clinical, you know, findings that I've had, and also just kind of go through like, okay, so here's what we don't know. And here's what we do know about supporting your body. So whether we know or not this, like there are women talking about it. So how can we mitigate against this? Oh, amazing. Um, again, thank you so much for, for taking the kind of proactivity or whatever the word is for actually, um, you know, spending your life's work helping other women. And certainly Kelsey and, and I are the beneficiaries of, of that work Absolutely. personally. So yeah, thank you so much. Just a, a question I had too, if we have time. Yeah. For women who are doing hormonal birth control strictly just for contraceptive reasons. I was just curious if you could talk a little bit, I don't know if you're personally, if you do charting or, or just some natural alternatives that are actually, that I don't know, recommend. I guess I keep thinking yeah. about how like, I wish they would teach teenagers and health ed how to chart their cycle because I think it's so powerful when you understand, like Absolutely. you said earlier, that you can only get pregnant one day. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of wanted to just touch on that, like some some alternatives to hormonal birth control, not prescribing anything to, to anybody, of course, but... Yeah, totally. And you know, whenever I talk to patients or really anyone about this, I think the important thing is that there is no one size fits all with contraceptives and every single one of them has side effects. And fertility awareness method has a side effect that whoops, you might get pregnant. But I will also tell you that nature finds a way. I have 
patients, friends, family members who've gotten pregnant on the pill with a copper IUD, with the, you know, Marina IUD, like nature finds a way. And so there is no foolproof way to not get pregnant aside from never having contact with a penis or sperm in any way. (laughs) And so that works for some people, not for everybody. Um, So, you know, with that, I think, you know, every woman should learn how to chart her cycle and really work with her menstrual cycle with, you know, in my practice, if a woman comes to I actually hand her a journal. I'm like, I need you to be recording all your symptoms, all your data, get some apps or whatever you want to do to like record your menstrual cycle. Cause I literally cannot do my job just by looking at labs. Like, and it's, I think it's silly that any clinicians like I can just look at your labs and know exactly what's going on because that's one snapshot in time. You need the data of the menstrual cycle. Like you need the data of that woman's experience, especially as you start trying interventions, which, you know, beyond the pill, I take women through that of like, okay, so you're going to try this 30 days and you're going to test what's true for you because what's true for your sister isn't necessarily true for you in terms of what works. So fertility awareness method, I think is you know, the, the research is great when you're doing it in a way where you're tracking your body temperature, but also paying attention to your symptoms as well. And so there's great femtech devices that are out there that you can use. I think we are very, it's just how, it's just part of being a human, being a, an animal of any kind, you want to find like the easiest, laziest way to do things. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's like what, what we're designed and programmed to do. But I think that when we pop the pill or we place the patch, we give the NuvaRing, we kind of, we take a back seat to our reproductive health. And the same can be true with like leveraging femtech devices without actually tuning into your body as well. And so, and when I mean by femtech devices, you know, there's natural cycles, there's Daisy fertility monitor, there are apps where you can take your temperature, you can plug it in. And, and with all of that, like they're great. Like their algorithms are great. Like math beats like chemicals, like yay, like for preventing pregnancy. Like that's really cool. But at the same time, I think you can get yourself in trouble if you think that your app is just going to tell you and that you don't need to be paying attention. And so I just like to caveat that because there have definitely been times. So I use a fertility awareness monitor. There have been times where it's like, yeah, you're, you know, you're maybe in your fertile window and it's that like, you know, that mm, probably shouldn't have unprotected sex. And I'm like, oh no, I definitely am. Like my fertile cervical mucus going on. Like I'm not more interested yeah. in my husband. Right. Like there are, there are things <laughs> happening here that are signs. And so, and like, you never know when your phone's going to fail or like something like that. Whereas yeah. like, you can't fail filling your cervix, checking cervical mucus, like paying attention to your signs. And so, you know, right. that's, and some of those apps are really expensive too. So it's not always true. an option for, for women. Yeah. You know, um, I, so I like the idea of like, you can learn your own body. Totally. And you know, there's a great book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Actually, Beyond the Pill on Amazon hit number one bestseller and like Taking Charge of Your Fertility was number two. And I was like, oh my God, that's the most exciting thing ever. Because that was such a badass book. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. uh, The the first time it happened, I'll actually, I'll share with you guys, like my son has an autoimmune condition that's affecting his brain right now. And it causes him to basically regress to where he's like an infant, but a super strong, violent infant and with that it was a it was a bad day in terms of the the Brighton household and you know I hit number one and my husband's like you hit number one I was like I don't even care I was like crying and the next day I was like wait no no I do really care like I really care about that but like I was like in the thick of my son and so when it happened again I like shot up to number one again I was like I'm gonna celebrate I'm a dance, get on, tell everybody how thankful I am for that. Yeah, so that book will teach you paper charting and it will also teach you how to tune into your body as well. I have an entire chapter in Beyond the Pill on non-hormonal birth control options. And I go through them and I don't go through, you know, I've had a few people that are like, oh, I wish you would have gone through the, the NuvaRing and like all of these other hormonal ones. And I'm like, you know, they're kind of all doing the same thing and they're having the similar right. side effects. And I would venture to guess if women are coming to this book, they want to have a discussion about non-hormonal birth control. And so I talk about the IUD, the copper IUD doesn't work for everyone, works for some women. If you have endometriosis, just moonwalk out of the room if your doctor starts talking about that (laughs) because it can lead to heavier, more painful periods. You know, I did the copper IUD. 
I should have known better. I started the pill because I, you know, when I was a teenager, they thought I had endometriosis. I had like eight day painful periods. I'd be vomiting like on the ground, a heating pad. It was just awful. And when I, you know, I came off the pill, I lost my period. Then it came back with like a vengeance. And I was like, I'm going to do the copper how you do anyways, because I can't get pregnant. And oh my God, that was like, why? And I knew better, but I'm so stubborn. You might know better, but most most people don't. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was, you know, actually like, yeah, I was like, I, I actually was like counseling people on it was like, if you have heavy, painful periods, you shouldn't do this. Uh, you shouldn't use this. And then I was like, no, I'm going to do it. Cause I didn't want hormones and I didn't want to get pregnant. Well, um, we all want to be the exception to the rule. Yeah, well, and, that, and then I was also like, you know, in medical school, and even though I went to naturally medical school, they're still really cautious about teaching fertility awareness method as a good way to prevent pregnancy. That tide is really turning, but the whole reason is because no doctor ever wants the liability of an of an unintended pregnancy. Right. Okay. So at the time, I was being taught like, yeah, it works, but I wouldn't rely on it. I wouldn't tell your patients about it. And it was really my sister who made me a believer because she got pregnant on the pill. Then she was like, I'm going to use fertility awareness method to not get pregnant. And I was like, that's dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> this is my little sister. And then uh, she like five years later was like, or it was about four years later. And she was like, um, we're going to try for another baby. And I was like, but you haven't gotten pregnant. You're in your twenties. Do you want any help with that? And she was like, no, we're going to try for another baby. And then she was pregnant the next month. She was like, I know when I'm ovulating, I'll get pregnant. She's pregnant the next month. And I was like, wait a minute, what were you doing? Like, let's say, And that really was the moment where I was like, okay, I need to drop that dogma that I was taught and I need to really open up my mind to this and and get curious about it. And now we've been using fertility. I've been using fertility awareness method for six years now and it works beautifully. But yeah, so there's also the proper IUD. There are gels that you can insert that will kill sperm. There's also condoms, which by the way, if you're not in a monogamous relationship and getting tested, you know, you need to use condoms anyways. Um, you need to have that barrier method, especially, you know, I talk about in my book about how being on hormonal birth control actually puts you at a higher risk and you're more susceptible to some sexually transmitted infections. And that's something we definitely, we, I didn't know that while I was on the pill. I'm like, we should know that. And we should be using condoms. Like, Okay. I mean, if you're yeah. going to scare the bejeebus out of me about anything, how about, how about like being on the pill could make you more susceptible, wear a condom rather than like, you could get pregnant anytime. Mm-hmm. Like, watch out now. You better like, you know, suppress your hormones all the time. There's also a new gel that's being developed that will alter cervical mucus. So it's not meant to just kill sperm, but alter cervical mucus so that it's not when you are in your fertile window, which makes mucus like a super highway for sperm, it'll alter it. So it kind of blocks the sperm. Sperm can't make its way to the egg. And so, you know, there's lots of choices out there and you really just have to go through like the pros and cons. There's a whole chart. I'm like a very visual person. So I'm like, yeah, I wrote all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Now here's a chart. Okay. Quick and or easy pros and cons so that you can evaluate it for yourself. And you know, like you were saying about some of those devices are expensive, you know, it, it depends, you know, it really depends. And I think we have to look at, okay, Yes, the device is expensive. How long does it last? How long will it be with you? Now compare that to how much does birth control cost you if your insurance isn't covering it? And my goodness, in the United States, we're under threat of that like every single day. It's like every other day, I'm like, you're giving me whiplash here. Stop with this. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, you know, comparing it to that cost. And then also, you know, there's something, a good friend of mine, Dr. Isabella Wentz, she was the one who, she when she was working in a pharmacy, she clued me into the fact that when they would fill a birth control pill prescription, what they often saw is that it would just be sometime later where a woman was then getting prescribed like a proton pump inhibitor, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication, or a thyroid medication. And she's like, you would just see one progressive drug after another after the woman starts hormonal birth control. And she's like, and we can't say that like, oh, the pill is because of all of that. 
she's like, but it always, and she's like, it's something we talk about as pharmacists is like, what is up with that trend? And so that's kind of the other thing is like, and why isn't that being looked at more heavily? Cause it goes back to like, I mean, we had a study of over a million women that were followed for over a decade that showed that if you start a hormonal birth control, you had an over 20% increased risk. You were more likely to be prescribed antidepressants. So a mood altering medication. And then what we saw next, it was like, you know, physicians and scientists coming out in droves to dismiss it, to say, no, no, like this is, this is an epidemiological study. Like, no. And it's like, well, hold up though. They were actually, you know how they were measuring things. Like in some of these women, they were putting, being put in psychiatric facilities. Like this is not just like, oh, they were kind of sad crying. Like this was like, some of these women had extreme side effects. And so it's that dogma again, it's the dogma again of like, no, we know this to be 100% safe and no, it cannot have that side effect. And it really, it comes down to, well, you're not listening then. Like you're not listening to women because there are like the number one reason women quit these pharmaceutical trials with hormonal contraceptives is because of there being these side effects. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that there was the male birth control trial that happened. I in no way am advocating that we start messing with men's hormones, okay? Again, there's men that live in my house. I don't want to subject them to that. But with that, you know, that study was stopped because less than 5% of the men reported that they were having mood symptoms. But in the same quarter, an IUD was released and deemed completely fine for women when it had, you know, women had like over a 20% complaint of mood altering effects. So that was in the that was in the study. That was in the package insert. And so this is where it comes down to that medical gender bias discussion again as well is like okay it's not okay for men to have you know this low of mood altering side effects by the way their libido was higher as well so they got that benefit but it's completely fine with women and like what does that come down to well who gets pregnant who has to carry that baby and like if you want a baby like then fantastic but if you don't that's a burden and that burden of pregnancy falls on you and like I would love to think that every man sticks around and is cool like that. But like men do have the option to walk away. And it's a very hard thing. Like then, yeah. then what comes next is like, if you don't want that baby, now you've got really hard decisions to make. And by the way, society's going to show up and judge you all around whatever direction you go. Like nobody wants that. Like that's, that's a lot. And that's another reason why I'm like, you know, I'm not about to say take away hormonal birth control because that I think psychologically is a very, a very hard thing to navigate as a woman. And even if you do what you feel is absolutely right for you, it's still like you're either going to tell no one or be really guarded about it or tell everybody and get a lot of hate for it. Like whatever, whatever direction you go, it's just, it's not easy to be a woman with some of these decisions we face. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And yeah, thank you so much for, for your passion and your compassion. But most of all, I think your curiosity, I think that is the reason that you're helping women progress at this rate. I'm yeah, so grateful for that, for that yeah. curiosity. And allowing women to make the decision, like you said, that's right for them, mm-hmm. that there's not a right or wrong. These are all of our options and and choosing what's right for your personal body and your lifestyle. And I just can't help but think, I'm just so grateful that we're sitting here having this conversation. I think a hundred years ago, all three of us would probably have been committed. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe like, all you know, the time. It's, like- <laughs> it's so funny too. Cause like I've, I've said this so many times that like, how amazing is it right now? We can even have this dialogue out in the open and yet haters are still going to hate. They're still going to come. And like, I get people who, I mean, all the time I'll get people who are like, you are hurting women and you're hurting men and you're anti-men and you're anti-this. And I all the time, you know, I constantly say, like, I think you're misunderstanding me and you're viewing me through the lens of like one bit of information that you got about me. And if you spent a little more time recognizing that you've brought your own bias here and that like you're pigeonholing me into a narrative that fits like your, your life and your viewpoint, like if we can just stand back for a minute and be like, wait, maybe that's not the whole story. Like maybe we should just have a conversation about it. But like, you know, once upon a time, we were like burnt at the stake for having these conversations. Like we were burnt at the stake for like being able to be like, oh, I'm pregnant. And I know I'm pregnant before like anything definitive. I mean, it just, it's just crazy when you think about the history of women's medicine. And I think that very much 
there's still some of those old wounds that really lie deep in us. And like, whether you just, you know, you subscribe to energetic medicine or not, understand that like science is showing that whatever psychologically happened with like your great grandmother has an imprint on you. And so it's something that I think that sometimes when women are getting triggered by all of this, it's a little more of like that old wound and the old story coming up, which is an opportunity for us to get uncomfortable, which is never fun, but it is also very necessary for moving forward. And I think that the more we have open dialogues, the more we have to stay curious. Like it's my hope in the next 20 years that this isn't even called post-birth control syndrome. In fact, we refine that language and we fine tune it in a way because we have so much more understanding around it that we can give it a more precise name to like what exactly is going on and understand it for the individual. Uh, yeah, this is all just music to our ears. And in <laughs> fact, we have an episode on genetic trauma. So yeah, you're exactly oh, right. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that because I, I think about that like daily. Like I actually in part blame my endometriosis on the traumas of my female ancestors, whether or not, you know, there's no scientific, <laughs> I have no scientific backing on that right now, but I've always kind of just felt that in my body. But oh, I'm just so grateful for you, Dr. Brighton. I'm just I, I think the world yeah. is becoming a better place and you're making a big part of, of that happen. Oh, well, like, I think we're all doing that. <laughs> Where can people find you? Because I follow you on social and what I love is is that you're obviously incredibly educational. I mean, it's you, everything that you've said today is just so in-depth and the information is all there. So that's wonderful. But you're also incredibly open about your personal life and, and your curiosity obviously in order to kind of help and support other women. So where can people find you? Yeah. So you can find me at drbrighton.com, which is D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. I have a ton of articles and resources and there's a whole search function that you can search your period problems and find answers there. And then you can also find me on Instagram. So I hang out a lot on Instagram and it's at Dr. Jolene Brighton. And then I have a YouTube channel as well, where I put out informative videos and more information just to help women understand their body better and to really get the solutions that they need so they can work with their body and feel their best. And of course, if right now you're listening to this and you have post-birth control syndrome or you're on hormonal birth control, I've got a free guide for you. This is drbrighton.com slash PBCS diet, post-birth control syndrome diet. It's what you can start right now, start eating to work with your body and just simple practices so that you can take care of your liver, take care of your gut and start optimizing your hormones on hormonal birth control and as you make that transition off. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure everyone will be thrilled to receive that. Thank you again, Dr. Jolene. We're, yeah, just excited. I know. I, I think Stan and I are a little starstruck at the moment, but this oh, conversation is just, it's been helpful for us. And I know it's going to be helpful for everybody listening. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. It's been such a delight to chat with you guys today. Thank you so much for having me, for having these conversations and helping spread the message. We hope you enjoyed this episode. How lucky are we that we get to chat to these mega talented folks? I think we're pretty fucking lucky. <laughs> Hell yes. So if you happen to like it too, share it with your mates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. And don't forget the conversation doesn't end here. We would love to hear from you. What did you think of today's episode? What else do you want to talk about? Yeah, what kind of conversations are you having? Or maybe what conversations aren't you having? Yeah, good point. Anyway, until next time. Bye. Bye.